Effective Living with Reverend Henry Hubert. May you be blessed as you listen. Now, the message. Lord, you Let me start by saying that leadership is a very, very important subject in the Bible. If you are a Christian, one of the things that you need to understand is that the Bible is the most um, critical and the most outstanding leadership training manual. Everything about the Bible points to the subject of leadership. My personal opinion is that God's ultimate plan for every Christian is that at the end of the day, you must become a very good leader. Every Christian. Every Christian who follows the teachings of Christ properly and is willing to put into practice what Jesus teaches and is ready to model his life after Christ will end up to become a very good leader. The ultimate purpose of every Christian is good leadership. And leadership is not a subject for a few chosen people in the church. Leadership is a subject for every Christian, every believer. Every believer must understand that inherent in you, every human being has a leadership potential in him. Genesis 1, 26, he said, let us make a man in our image and after our likeness and let them have dominion. The word dominion means govern. Let us make a man in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion. So when God was creating human being, the ultimate purpose was for the human being to have dominion. The word dominion means to govern. It also means to rule. So in every human being that is created by God is a leadership potential. Every human being has it. Everybody must become a leader somehow. Everybody can become a leader and everybody should become a leader because inherent in everybody is that leadership potential. But the reason why many people don't become leaders is because of the misunderstanding of the subject of leadership. The subject of leadership has been misunderstood among Christians and for that matter in the whole world because many people in church today understand leadership to mean a position. When they say leader, they are looking for a particular position in the church and the moment they leave the four walls of the church, they don't understand that they are leaders anymore. So people hit the entrance of the church, and then they think, oh, I'm a leader. I must do these things this way and that way because I am the so-so-and-so head, or I'm so-so-and-so. And the once they leave church, they forget about it because the understanding that we've been made to have as Christians is that leadership is a position. But leadership is not a position. Leadership is not a title you carry. Leadership is a life you live. It's a life. Whether at home, if you are parents, you are leaders because your children are supposed to follow your example. So at home, you are a leader because you are parents. When you get to the workplace, you are supposed to be the salt. Jesus said you are the salt of the earth. That is leadership. 
He said, you are the light of the world, Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. You are the ones who must make the difference. You are the ones that must be the examples that people look at. When people want to look at rightful living, they must look at your life. At the workplace, by the way you carry yourself, by the way you go about your work, by the decisions you make, everything you do. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The world is supposed to look at us and model after. We are not supposed to copy how the world is living. The world is supposed to look at us. So leadership is a life that you live. It's not a position. It's not a title. And the reason why many, many Christians don't become good leaders, even though they have leadership potential in them, is because our understanding about leadership is always wrong. Yes, our understanding about leadership is all wrong. So in many churches, if you say that there's a leadership training program, there are certain people, if they show up, everybody will be looking at them in a certain way. Everybody will be saying in their head, what is he also doing here? Because in most churches, our understanding of leadership is a few selected class of people who are occupying a position and who have a title. A leadership training is supposed to be something that you do for every church member, every church member. So when I'm doing programs like this, I tell my church, everybody who wants to learn about leadership should come. And yet many don't still don't come because of our mindset. The understanding of who a leader is is the reason why many people don't become good leaders. The second reason why many people don't become good leaders, even though God created everybody with a leadership potential and God created everybody to become ultimately a good leader. The second reason is because there is a very great lack for leadership training programs. Leadership training programs are not very popular because many people don't even know that leadership is a subject in the Bible. So when you talk about the subject of leadership in church, it's not an interesting subject that people want to even take time and listen to to try to understand. And that is what is affecting the impact of leadership in our Christian lives, in our society. But when you look through the whole Bible and throughout, you will see that the most significant things that stand out in God's dealings with people is leadership. Think about it. When God wanted to save Israel from Egypt, Israelites were suffering. They were in slavery, and they were crying to God, Lord, don't leave us this way. Don't leave us like this. We are suffering. We, we need help. Uh, whilst they were crying, God had to look for one man that he can send. Many of us see Moses as a great prophet, but he was also a leader. God called one man not just as a prophet, but also as a leader. And whilst the Israelites were crying and suffering, God was taking his time to train that one person to have all the best of leadership skills to be able to lead the people. So Moses was a leader that God used to lead the people from Egypt until they got to the River Jordan. And we know even when Moses died, God had to raise somebody else, Joshua. 
take the people into the promised land. Lead them in battle. They fought one city after the other, one battle after the other. And then they began to divide the land for all the tribes. We always hear a lot of preaching about Joseph, how he had a dream. And in his dream, he saw that all his brothers were bowing to him. He saw that the sun, the moon, 11 stars came to bow to him. But I believe Joseph did not know that the ultimate end of that dream was leadership. Joseph became a world leader. He was the prime minister in Egypt. The whole world was coming to buy food in Egypt. And so Joseph was not just a leader in um, Egypt, but he was also a very significant person globally. That's leadership. He takes a lot of good leadership skills to be able to stand in that position. And he was God's man in that place at that time. He was God's man. And these guys were not preachers. Joseph never preached, but he was a significant leader. So every now and then, when you look through the whole Bible, when God wanted to start a process of bringing Christ into the world, he had to look for a man that he can establish a covenant with and then through him raise a nation. God had to look for somebody and God had to start with Abraham. Abraham, unknown to him, was living a life that was going to become a very significant figure that will model leadership for generations after him to follow. All his mistakes are examples <laughs> today. All his um, achievements are, are examples that others had to follow. Isaac and Jacob and later the whole nation of Israel. Leadership goes through the whole Bible. You know, Israel had many, many, many kings. Israel had many kings. But the greatest of all of them was David. And if you study the life of David, you'll see that what made David stand out among the rest of the people was that he was a great leader. David was a great leader. And David was a leader long before he became king. David started being a leader in the bush. And the first bunch of people that he became a captain over were people who were owing and had run away from town because of debt. And people who were outlaws, like people who have committed crimes against the state and they are wanted and have run away. Those people were staying in the wilderness. And then the also Bible says the people were distressed. That means street guys. They don't have any place to stay. And the Bible said, when David himself ran away from Saul into the bush, all these people ran to go and meet him. And the Bible said he became their captain. So David started leading right in the wilderness. And to be a leader over these categories of people I just described. I think what I'm saying is in 1 Samuel 22. Is that right? Okay, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when all his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. So the first thing you see about David is that his family came to the point of believing that this guy is a leader. You know, you see his father there. When they came to his father's house to anoint a king, this same father didn't call David among the people. But after some time, the Bible says that his brothers and all his father's house, they went down to join him at the risk of their life because David was an outlaw. He's wanted by the king. King Saul had put a price over his head. You understand? So if you are caught in the camp of David, you are equally liable to, to be killed. But these people at the risk of their life went to join David. That means they believed that this man, there's something to his life. This is leadership. 
When you come to the place where people are inspired by your life and you influence people, not because of a position you occupy or a title you carry, but just by the simple life you live, people get attracted to you this way. That is leadership. Verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, <laughs> it's easy to lead people who are, who are well, like people who have ate and they are satisfied. But when people are hungry, leading them is a different ballgame. But the people who went to David <laughs> were distressed people. That means people in serious problems. And everyone who was in debt, owing, now I said debt, not owing 500 Ghana or 1,000. I'm talking about people who are owing millions at the bank, and then they've run, they, they've changed their accommodation, changed their phone numbers, and then you can't reach them. <laughs> yeah. Everyone was in debt. Everyone who was discontented got dead to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. Yeah. This is a man that was running away for his life. At that time, David was not thinking about ruling anybody. He was thinking about surviving for his life. And yet, 400 men, not 400 people, 400 men. So if this, some of these people had wives and children, we are looking at about a thousand people. We're following a guy without a title and without a position. This is leadership. So leadership is not a position. It doesn't mean positions are wrong. Sometimes positions are even a reward for your leadership skill. And if you have a position that your leadership skill doesn't merit, it will soon show. It will soon show. And David became the captain over 400 men in the bush. And every day, David had to strategize how they can survive and escape death because Saul was on their trail on a daily basis with a whole host of army. And if you study further, you will see that more people joined David's camp. Some were mercenaries. A lot of other people warriors and soldiers and mercenaries, they joined David's camp. And David was a well-renowned leader even before he became the king. In fact, David became a king because Israel recognized that this guy had a good leadership skill. We'll look at this in um, 2 Samuel chapter 2. And it happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, where shall I go up? And then the Lord said, to Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Ahinam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the widow of the neighbor of, of neighbor, the Carmelites. And David brought up the men who were with him. Okay, so now Saul had died, so David had decided to look for a place and settle. David never went to Israel to make himself a king. So they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came there and they anointed king over the house of Judah. So the men of Judah came and anointed David to be what? To be king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, the men of Jabesh Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So when David went to go and settle at um, Hebron, and remember, it was the Lord who spoke to him and said, go and stay in Hebron. But this is the guy, like 20 years before, someone had come to him, his father's house and anointed him with oil that he was going to be the next king. But he never 
ascended the throne by himself because a prophet had poured oil on his head. He lived his normal life and his life eventually earned him the throne. The people came to him and anointed him to become his king. That is leadership. And at this time, he was anointed only as king over Judah because at that time, the rest of the tribes of Israel were still under the rule of another man. And after ruling in Judah for seven years, the whole of Israel came again in, in 2 Samuel chapter 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke. Look at what they said. This is after seven years, okay? After ruling in, in, in Jude over Judah, only one tribe for seven years. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel. Look at that. When Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler. Oh, that means that even people had a hint of the prophecy. What happened secretly in Jesse's house when Samuel came and Paul, people still had a hint of it. That one day this guy will be king. And even though there was a ceremonial head, Saul, who is the one who carried, who was occupying the throne, a position. The Israelites were saying that even when Saul was alive, you were the one who actually led us. You see, so there are people who have a position and there are people who lead. The movers and the shakers in the world are not title holders. You know, I like football a lot. Who is the most influential player in Manchester United? Ronaldo, of course, isn't he? Is he the captain? No, he's not a captain. Yeah, but he carries more weight than anybody in the team. So my question I want to ask you is, what do you really want in life? Is it a position or influence? Oh, no, that guy is, is powerful. Ronaldo is powerful. If Ronaldo wants to go to Jubilee House, he doesn't need a protocol arrangement. He will just go. Are you understanding me? Yeah, because, I mean, great influence. But he's not a captain of the team. So... If Ronaldo talk in that team, I'm telling you, it will move people more than when the captain talks. So what is leadership? If leadership is not a title, it's not a position, what is leadership? Leadership is influence. Ability to influence people by your life. Let me say it better. Leadership ability to influence people positively because we can also have negative influence. How does it mean to influence people? It means... It means ability to get people to follow you willingly, willingly, without you manipulating them, coercing them. So, so let me talk quickly about the importance of leadership. Why is leadership very important today? The whole of world history is shaped by leaders. Think about it. Everything happening in our world today, the direction of our world is determined by leadership. In fact, the whole world is going through a global economic crisis because one person decided to go to war. That's how powerful leadership is. Study the history of the world. It's all traceable to decisions made by individuals who are leaders, whether it's World War I, World War II, whether it's um, the slave trade, whether it's the abolition of the slave trade, everything in world history 
You can trace it to leadership decisions, leadership decisions. Maybe if we can add, if you, you look at the situation in Africa today, you can only conclude it's a leadership problem. The poverty in Africa is not demonic, it's leadership problem. The economic challenge Ghana is in now is a leadership problem. So when you go to a place like Rwanda, Rwanda had a terrible war, very terrible war. And there was a time human beings were killed like fowls on the streets. They cut off people's heads with machets, cutlasses. But then, how many years ago? I think I'm trying to count the number of years. That should be, it's not up to 30 years. Uh, 20 something, 20 something years ago, they were fortunate to have a leader, somebody who came and united the nation and encouraged the people to move away. And today, Rwanda is one of the best countries in Africa in terms of development, in terms of economy. They have developed and they are still making significant progress as a nation. One of the things I found out recently is that they don't even have any tribe in Rwanda anymore. There's no tribe. They have, the president has literally encouraged intermarriage and has talked them out of tribal divisions. So now they call themselves Rwandans. They don't believe that we are Tutsis and Hutus. Meanwhile, it was this tribal thing that brought the war. The president has removed tribalism completely. Okay, so if it's happening in just here, Rwanda, and we have more natural resources than Rwanda, then our problem is a leadership problem, not demonic problem. So this should tell you that leadership is a, is a very important subject, that if we fail to look at it carefully, our whole society will continue to be in a mess, and we blame the devil for it, for something he did not do. And the sad thing is that most of our African leaders, they go to church, and yet they don't hear these things. Most of our African leaders claim to be Christians, isn't it? They claim to be Christians. Most of our parliamentarians, they go to church. Most of them, they go to church. Most of our ministers of state, they go to church. Most of our judges and Supreme Court judges, and they go to church. So we have to understand that the subject of leadership is um, a very important thing, and we have to keep having a conversation about it. But before we can teach it, we have to first know it. Number one, the success of every organization is determined by its leadership. If things don't go well in any organization, the leader has a problem. That means whether in the home, whether in a church, whether it's a, a business organization, if you own your own business, how successful that business will be depends on your leadership capacity. How big your business will become, how great your business will become. If you had an institution, how successful that institution will go depending on your leadership capacity. If you're a departmental leader in church, how dynamic, how successful, how, how good a department is in a church. That's why I tell pastors, if a department is not doing well, there's bad leadership. Everything rises and falls on leader. If a nation is not doing well, it's the leader. That's why in football, if a club is not winning matches, they fire the coach. 
they don't sack the players. Why is it that when they change a coach, the same players, same football pack, they get different results? Have you noticed that if you like football? I've seen some coaches move and the results of the club change. A club like Manchester United has become a struggling club since Alex Ferguson left the club. And that is speaking to the subject of leadership, that there are many companies that are rising and making significant progress because of the person in charge. And there are many, many companies that are also nose diving into bankruptcy because some, somebody is there who should not be there. So leadership determines organizational success. That's why if you have a dream one day of building a great business, your number one area of study should be leadership because there's a difference between self-employed person and a business owner. A self-employed person is somebody who is doing his own thing by himself. A plumber, a mason, a carpenter, uh, what else? Anything. You are an artisan. You are self-employed. When we talk about business, we are talking about the thing growing beyond you. So what happens if you've gone for a funeral? Will your job continue in your absence? If no, you are only self-employed. You are not a business owner. A kinky seller is not a business owner. He's just a self-employed person. Unless kinky can still be available even when she's sick at home. Now, the moment you think about building a business, people come into play. You cannot run a business as an individual. You need people. The number one people you are thinking of are your customers. Apart from your customers, your staff, either formal or informal, full-time or part-time, you're going to recruit people who will do a few things for you and all that. You can never build a great business without an excellent leadership skill. Yes, you can never do that. If you are a pastor, you want to build a great church, leadership is very important because you, you can run a church alone up to a certain limited number. Beyond that, you need people. Beyond that, you need people. And your leadership skill determines the kind of people you can attract to work with you and to stay with you. It will determine even the kind of members you can retain. Um, so maybe we can read that scripture in Matthew 15, 4. 14. Matthew 15, 14. Okay, this is what I want. Jesus said, leave them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. <laughs> if the blind person leads the blind. So the problem is the leadership, isn't it? Because the problem is not the people. If the people are blind, but they have a leader who can see, the people will be safe. But if the people are blind, and yet they are being led by somebody who is blind, then the people are not safe. That's what Jesus is saying. Blind leaders of the blind. Their end is the ditch. So leadership is very significant. It's very important. The moment you decide that God has put on your heart that one day you want to run an organization, you want to attempt something great, you want to achieve something in your lifetime and do something significant that will 
glorify the name of God or make a significant difference, your leadership skill has become very, very, very crucial. So organizational success is um, traceable to leadership quality. The second is that uh, the absence of leadership creates disorder. Judges 17 verse 6. Judges 17 verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone was doing what he likes. <laughs> no laws, no regulations, no restrictions, no definition of right or wrong. How do you think that such a society will be like? It will be chaotic, it will be terrible, and it will be disaster. There will be no success whatsoever in such a place. Everybody did what he liked. So absence of leadership creates disorder. When you get to any environment where you see disorder, you know that the ultimate result is failure. Failure. Things will never work well. Because for success to be achieved, anywhere there are people, there has to be unity, there has to be direction, there has to be a focus, and there has to be a coordinated effort. But here is the case, there's no leader. So there is fantastic ability, but no results because there's no direction. Everybody thinks what he wants to do is the right thing. You know? And sometimes you can get to a place where the problem there is no human resource. There is fantastic abilities there. Gifted people, powerful people, you know, outstanding resources, and yet nothing is working. Are you getting me? And yet nothing is working. And then you go to another place, little resources, and so much is being achieved. Sometimes I, sometimes I see that in a church. Sometimes I go to a church, and the pastor is complaining, we don't have equipment, that's why people are not coming to church. Our meeting place is not nice. Blah, 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 blah. You go to another church, they are meeting under a tree. The place is crowded. You go to a church, there's sound system, there's this, there's that, there's lights. Leadership coordinates people's efforts. Leadership is what provides direction. Leadership is what provides unity. Leadership is what helps people to be motivated and inspired to go the extra mile, to do the extraordinary. Every business school today, every up-to-date current business school in any leading university, they have leadership courses now in the business school, in their faculty programs, leadership. It didn't used to be there. But now, it is evident and clear some of the greatest CEOs did not have an MBA worldwide. Some of the greatest CEOs, they were just great leaders. They don't have MBAs. They don't have, they have not been to any manage, business management. They don't have any first class in business management. Yeah, because organizations are leadership driven. So the results you are looking for, you can have it in relevance to your leadership skill. Your organizational success is always determined by your leadership skill. And that is why if you want to achieve great success in whatever you do, you need to understand that leadership is very important. And that is why you must learn about leadership. That is because you want to be able to um, um, achieve great organizational success. 
Not because you want to attain some position. No. You, you want to achieve great success. Anything that will be entrusted into your hands one day. And I'm, I've been telling church people all the time, you never know where you'll be tomorrow. You never know where you'll be tomorrow. you become the head of the department in your workplace tomorrow. You can become the manager of your, of your workplace tomorrow. You can, you can be given any important position tomorrow at work. Or better still, other responsibilities can come to you. God can entrust, put you in, you know, in charge of, I mean, look at Joseph. Joseph was in prison thinking about survival, how he can come out and survive the rest of his life. Joseph was not thinking about running a nation. Look at where he landed the following day. Within 24 hours, look at where he found himself. What if he was not prepared? What if Joseph was not prepared? Hallelujah. Yeah, what if he was not prepared for it? And the sad thing is many Christians found themselves in places and they embarrass God. They embarrass the name of Christ by the horrible behaviors they put up. Speaking in tongues, but um, I mean embarrassing. No wisdom, no intelligence, no display of maturity, no interpersonal skills, no communicative competence. Just horrible. God can put you in a place tomorrow. And what you do with that opportunity is significant, not only to your own pers- your life alone, but to the life of many generations that whose destinies are tied to you. Amen. The lives of many, many people whose destinies are tied to you. So whatever you, you find yourself as a, as a leader one day, you need to understand this must not happen. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah, yeah. The third importance of leadership is that leadership is the greatest need. I think I've spoken about that already. Matthew 9:36. Matthew 9:36. The greatest problem in our world today. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Jesus was worried for people, humanity. I'm I'm sure that is his worry still for the world, at least for Africa. If not for the whole world. I think if there's anything Jesus that is troubling Jesus' heart for Africa today, it will be leadership. What do you think? He was moved with compassion for the crowd because they were what? Weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So absence of leadership is what put the whole of humanity at risk. The whole of our society is at risk to leadership, bad leadership, bad leadership. So it's very important, amen? Very, very, very important. Um, The last, the last, I think, the nature of the leader determines the performance of the team. Isaiah 9, 16, it says what? For the leaders of these people cause them to err, and those who are led by them are destroyed. So who your leader is, is as important to your safety. If you follow the, follow the, the wrong leader, he's going to destroy your life. That means it is important for everyone to make a choice whom he chooses to follow. The leaders of the people cause them to err. So 
Leadership is an influential thing. The people you follow, they influence your life. And the people who influence you direct your lifestyle. You eventually began to make decisions and put up behaviors based on how you were influenced. That is why you need to choose the leaders you follow. You need to choose the leaders you follow. Very important. You need to choose the leaders you follow. The team resonates in behavior to the behavior of the leader. Yeah, sometimes you can meet people doing the wrong thing because it has become the normal. A leader can make the wrong thing the normal and it becomes the right thing in that culture. Yeah, a leader can make a wrong thing the normal and soon becomes the right thing in that culture. So leadership is very, very dangerous because it creates culture. All you keep hearing by the people you admire tell you is, is right will soon become what you do, even if it is wrong. So you have to choose the people who lead you. You have to choose the people you follow. You have to choose the people you learn from. You have to choose the people who inspire you and who influence you. It's very, very, very important. You can see this even among pastors. Sometimes you can see a pastor preaching, you can tell which church he's coming from because he's following the lifestyle of the leader there. You can see a pastor's lifestyle, you can tell that this guy may be coming from either this church or that church because the people you follow, they influence your lifestyle. They define your normal. And that is why you have to be very deliberate about the people you allow to influence you. Can I say that again? If you want to develop your leadership skill, you need to be very intentional about the people you allow to influence you. Can I say that again? Okay, what I'm trying to say indirectly is that don't allow people to impose themselves on you as a leader. Because there are people who go about doing that. Before long, they have started imposing themselves on you. You must be intentional in who the people you call mentors, for example. You must be intentional in the people you learn from. You must be intentional in the people you follow. Otherwise, you, you, you can become what you didn't want to. Oh, yeah. You can become what you never wanted to be just by the person you have decided to follow and to learn from. Some of the influence are so powerful. I'll give you one example in the Bible. How many of you know Samuel in the Bible? The Bible said the first time God spoke to Samuel, Samuel did not know the voice of God. How many of you remember? So when God called Samuel, he thought it was his spiritual father, Eli. You remember that? Okay, who can tell me what God told Samuel that day? If you have read the Bible. What did God tell him? He was complaining about what? Eli's children. How that Eli did not discipline his children. And Samuel was young, isn't it? Have you ever wondered why God wants to talk to a young boy in the temple? And he was talking about an old man who is a man of God. And how he has failed to train his children. And God told six young boys, I am very annoyed with your spiritual father. <laughs> Have you ever wondered why God should do such a thing? Do you know why God was doing that? God was trying to let someone know, I hate irresponsible parenting. Now, someone grew up under this man. And do you know what he did when he grew up? He became old and the Israelites came to Samuel and said, 
choose a king for us. And they told Samuel the reason why they wanted him to choose a king. What was the reason? They, they said, choose a king for us because your children are wayward. The very thing God told this young man that his spiritual father was doing that was bad. He grew up and did the same thing. Isn't that strange? Do you know why Samuel did that? That's what he learned. That's what he learned. We call it exposure. I am of the opinion, listen to me. I think Hannah should have kept Samuel in the house. I think Hannah was mistaken to think everything in church is 100% perfect. But not everything in church is 100% perfect. Number two, everything about leadership is not in church alone. You can also develop leadership at home. I think Hannah should have trained, Hannah and Elkanah should have trained Samuel up to the time he's a teenager. Then he can go into the temple and learn spiritual things from early. But domestic things, he's supposed to learn it from home. But he was sent as a little tiny baby. So the normal he saw. And remember, this guy did not see any other normal as far as infancy and upbringing is concerned. He never saw any apart from the one in the temple. And the one he saw in the temple was horrible. And what you learn in practice use what you demonstrate in performance. And Eli was very anointed. Samuel was very anointed, but he had some bad sides. That's why even when you follow a man of God just because he's anointed alone, you can be destroyed. Because there are some very anointed guys who have a bad character, bad character. So before you choose somebody as a mentor, it's not just about the anointing. That's why you don't have strangers as mentors. Because his character will influence you. His character will influence you. If the person is a liar, you will be anointed and be a liar. If the person is a womanizer, he, you will become a very anointed womanizer. No, there are many, many pastors I know who are struggling with certain things that I can trace it to who they followed. I can trace it to who brought them up, who influenced them. It's a very serious thing. You must be intentional about the people Sometimes somebody can like you and bring you close himself and start, but you must decide, okay, thank you for liking me, but do I really want to follow this guy? If no, find a very wise way to create a distance because there are a lot of bad influences going on in our society. Bad influences. People literally will recruit people to just train them for evil. Yeah, they will recruit you and indoctrinate you and train you for evil. So you cannot tell me, oh, I'm close to him, or I'm close to her, but I'm not like that. No, 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 no. You will soon become like that. All right. Um, let me take one more topic. I want to talk today about leading yourself, or let me, what I title personal leadership. Personal leadership. The reason why I think personal leadership is important is because you cannot lead people unless you can first lead yourself. You agree to that? Before you aspire to be put in leadership position, understand what it means to lead yourself, self-governance, self-direction. So the key to good leadership is the ability to lead yourself. You can never lead others unless you lead yourself. Five important 
keys that can help you to lead yourself well. Self-discovery, personal vision, personal mission, personal discipline, personal management. Let's look at these five. So let's start with the first one, self-discovery. You can never be a good leader until you first discover yourself. When I say self-discovery, I'm, I'm saying understanding yourself. You need to understand yourself. You need to know who you are. Many people try to be what they are not. Many people try to claim to be what they are not. But leadership begins with knowing who you are. You want to understand yourself. Yeah, because you are one unique individual. And you cannot be like somebody else and nobody else can be like you. Five things that make you a unique person. The first is your heredity. Heredity means you didn't drop from heaven. You were born by your parents. And if your parents are Ashantis, automatically you are an Ashanti. You can't do anything about it. <laughs> your, your parents have unique genetic composure that God in his intricate wisdom allowed to frame your, your makeup. That is why DNA of a person can be used to test the paternity of a child. Because by all means, there might be something in you that is in your father and your mother. So that is where it starts from. So for you to understand yourself, study the history of your family. I like asking questions a lot. Yeah. And there may be more to your family that you don't know. And I don't, I'm not talking only about spiritual. Because some of you know you have to do spiritual investigations. How many authors were in your family and blah, blah, blah. No, study the family history itself. Who was your father and your grandfather and your great-grandfather? There may be information there that can help you understand yourself. And remember, salvation does not change your DNA. <laughs> salvation changes you spiritually. So even when it's in Christ, a new creation, that is your spirit. A new person is created in your spirit. But your mind must be renewed and your body must be kept in control. And the problem is not in your spirit. The problem is in your mindset and your body, the way your body behaves. So your heredity is very important. I mean, is it not obvious all over the world? I mean, the captain of our national team is the son of a former captain. Isn't that obvious? That's heredity. And the former captain played the same position his son is playing. At the same jersey for now. You get it? That's heredity. So sometimes you, you can see some good traces, parentage, running down. The bad ones, you can fight it. But no, the bad, even the bad ones, you need to understand it first before you try to fight it. Please, are you following me? Heredity. Number two, temperaments. God created four beautiful temperaments. There are people who are introverts, people who are extroverts, people who are easygoing, and people who are fan makers. There is no temperament that is better than the other. All temperaments are created by God. Each one has their own strengths and weaknesses. So if you get to find out that you are uh, melancholy, for example, and I think everybody here, you need to study what temperament is. At least these are the beginner's classes for leadership. You need to know what are temperaments. How many of you have heard anything about temperaments before? Let me see. Okay, a lot, almost all of you, almost all of you. Just go on the internet and type temperaments and then you'll find a lot of materials to read. The strengths and weaknesses of every temperament is there. Now, the good thing about temperament is that you can always 
minimize the weaknesses. I mean, if you've realized that your temperament has a weakness, you can find your own strategic ways to do what? To minimize them. But then you must also ask yourself, why did God create me with this temperament? Because I've come to realize that most of the time, our temperaments are shaped to suit the purpose that God has for us. The moment you understand it that way, you don't run away from your temperament. You celebrate your uniqueness. You understand that I'm created like this by God to suit and to fit a unique purpose. So temperaments. But then the other danger about temperament is that you don't just surrender to it and say, well, this is how I am. I misbehave. I can't do anything about it. This is how God created. No. I said that temperaments have weaknesses that you can, what? Manage. You can manage it. You can deal with it. You can minimize it. If possible, eliminate it. All right? So your heredity, your temperament. The third is your upbringing, the way you were brought up. The way you were brought up contributes to your, your unique personality. If you were brought up from a very disciplined home, it will show in your lifestyle. If you were brought up in a very disorderly home, it will show in your lifestyle. If you were brought up by a single mother, it will show. If you were brought up by, you know, no parents, that means you grew up learning things by yourself, it will show. in your, So your upbringing, and the question you want to ask is, your parents don't know everything, so they cannot teach you everything. That is why you cannot limit yourself to what you learned from your parents. Life must continue to be what? A continuous learning process. If you surrender to how, me, this is how I am, this is how I was brought up. For instance, if you grew up in a home where everything was allowed, you know, you can talk to your parents anyhow. You can misbehave. Your parents can be talking to you, frown, and you walk away, and they won't say anything. Now, you can grow up with that and think you can do that to your boss at the workplace. You're going to lose your job. You're going to lose your job. And you cannot blame your parents for not teaching you discipline. You have to grow up and understand well, this thing didn't go well for me, but I need to do something about it. There are people you see today, when you look at their lifestyle, you can trace it to the way they were brought up. So your upbringing, you ask yourself, how were you brought up? What are some of the upbringing experiences that were very good? What are the, some of the upbringing that is not good? If you're brought up by parents who were too extremely strict, they were not loving, they were not caring, they were very harsh, it can make you want to do the same to your children. You know, so your upbringing, the fourth one is exposure. I've talked about exposure already, isn't it? The things you saw as your normal when you were growing up. And then the last one is your peculiar experiences. We all grew up in different peculiar experiences, isn't it? Yeah. Some of us grew up in a Christian home, monogamy, one father, one mother, no girlfriend. Some of you have never seen your father girlfriend before because he didn't have any. So people like that, being faithful to your spouse is easy. But if father was the typical womanizer, maybe your father had three wives which were publicly um, acclaimed plus many girlfriends that you knew. Now the Bible is telling you that adultery, one man, one wife, but what you have seen all your life is three wives in the house. Now you are seeing one wife in the house every day. It becomes a problem. Your mind is, is in contention. Your experience is contained with your reality. 
So different, um, how do you call it, upbringing experiences. Some people grew up on the streets. No parents. They, 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 they perched from kiosk to kiosk. Stayed with people. Some people grew up with aunties and uncles. Some people grew up um, with single mothers. Some people grew up in different experiences frame your, your life. Some people grew up, both parents died very early. Even in neighborhoods. Some people grew up in slums. Some people grew up in prime communities. These experiences have an effect on your unique personality. How you process information, how you react to issues, how you handle things, what you see as your normal, what you consider luxury, <laughs> and what you consider normal. <laughs> you understand? Yeah. So it is very important for you to examine your life. If you want to be a good leader, it starts from here. You need to understand yourself. These things contribute to why you think the way you think, why you react to issues the way you react, why you process information, how you deal with people, how you trust people or you don't trust people, everything. And, and so you need to understand yourself. Now, when you understand yourself, you need to, secondly, appreciate who you are. Okay? You need to appreciate who you are, celebrating yourself. When I said celebrating yourself, I said that you need to understand that your uniqueness is shaped by God to suit a unique purpose that God created you to fulfill. So the purpose of self-discovery is to help you to understand yourself so you can celebrate yourself. That means you need to understand that you are created in the image of God. How many believe here you are created in the image of God? I want to see your hand. Uh, some people's hands are not up. How many believe you are created in the image of God? Okay. I want to say something very important to you today. Never forget. God doesn't create mistakes. So your life is not a mistake. Somebody say, put your right hand on your chest and say, I am not a mistake. God doesn't create a mistake. I am God's creation. My life is not a mistake. All right, so you are created in the image of God. You are created for a unique purpose. Number three, you are created with a great potential. And I like the fourth one, you are created original. Original means that there's nobody else like you. There cannot be another Henry Hubert. You may take my name, if I want to tag Henry Bet in, on, 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 on the internet, you'll be surprised. One day I typed Henry Hubert on YouTube, I saw other, many, many other Henry Huberts. Then I looked for myself. <laughs> then I said, yes, there can be nobody like me. You can, you can have my name, but you are not me. Don't try to be somebody else. The F is privileged to have only one person like you. So appreciate who you are. 
And don't try to be somebody else. Be yourself. Because you are unique. And you are created special. You know why in the olden days when people couldn't sign signatures, they used thumbprints. You know why? Because the thumbprint that you have is unique. Nobody else have it. When they put it under the microscope, it's different from every other. 7.8 billion people on the earth. Nobody has thumbprint. It's like yours. That must make you very special. So self-discovery means understand who you are and celebrate yourself. Now, what does this do for you? It makes you to, number one, love yourself. You know, I've met many people who don't love who they are. They are trying to change to, to become something else so that people can like them. No. People are not liking you because you yourself, you don't like yourself. And this is the reason for confidence. Uh, let me, this is the source of confidence. Confidence is about understanding who you are and celebrate who you are. Very important because <laughs> if you don't get this point, you will never be confident. And if you are not a confident person, you can never be a good leader. There are many, 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 many bad leadership is traced to lack of confidence. Because if you don't believe in yourself, why should people believe in you? For people to believe in you, you must believe in yourself. Confidence is about believing in yourself. And for you to believe in yourself, you need to understand who you are and celebrate who you are. That God created you in his image and he doesn't create mistakes. That God created you for a unique purpose. Every one of you here, I want you to know, God created you for a purpose. None of you here came on earth by accident. And none of you here were born. You started growing up before God. What, the day you became born again, God started thinking, oh, what should I do with this guy? Okay, maybe I'll make him a pastor. No, 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 no. Before you were born, God thought of you that I need somebody who will be on the earth in Africa and in Ghana and who must be from an Ewe tribe who will be a pastor and a Bible teacher. He thought of it and he decided that person must be a male and he must be of this height and this complexion and this temperament and must come through this particular appearance. He thought of everything. It's in Psalm 139 verse 14. He thought of everything. Then he now allowed you to be conceived in your mother's womb. That's why he told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before. God knew you before you were formed. That means before your mother conceived you, you existed on God's mind. You existed on God's mind before you came into existence in your mother's womb. So your life actually did not start in your mother's womb. Your life started on God's mind. That makes you very, very special person. Yeah, that you are not an ordinary person walking the face of the earth, not knowing what to do with your life. Let that never cross your mind. Yeah, he said, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That's David. And everybody who can become a great leader. You see, that's why these are the explanations to David's leadership exploits. He had understanding of who he was. 
and he celebrated, he appreciated his life. He said, I'll praise you. Great leaders don't ask the questions, oh, why was I born this way? Oh, why me? Why must I be the one who must go through all this? No. Everything you went through, the sufferings, the challenges, the, all the, the unpleasant experiences are part of God's process of developing you into what he created you to become. All of it. All of it. All the sufferings, all the disappointments, all the challenges, all the betrayals. Verse 15, it says, your eyes saw my unformed, it said, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. David said, God skillfully took time working on the muscles in my arms. God knew that David, you're going to be a man of the sword. You're going to fight. So you have to make the arms, the muscles, the arms strong. Makes his brains very sharp and strategic with warfare. And, you know, everything about him. He said, I was skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they, were all, they are all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. Yeah, this is what it means to, to celebrate your life. I like, I like a scripture in Ephesians 2.10. He said, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Which God ordained when? Beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's look at the Amplified. He said, for we are what? His workmanship, his own masterwork, a work of art, created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking parts which he set so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. We are his workmanship. The word workmanship, if you look at the NLT, NLT version of this, it says we are God's what? Masterpiece. A masterpiece means the best of all his work. That means that an artist can paint many things, but when you look through all his work, the one that is the best is what they usually call the masterpiece of an artist. We, the Bible says, you and I, we are God's masterpiece. So leadership begins with taking time to understand yourself, reflect on your life, and get to understand that your life is not ordinary. Yeah, your life is not ordinary. Your life is special. You see, sometimes we evaluate life based on events and possessions, but not on substance. You see, that, and that is why many people fail to celebrate their lives because you look around you and you look at other people. People are born in rich homes. People are grow up in all manner of privileges. They have money. You look at yourself. You don't have any money. You, didn't, you are not born in any rich home. You are not coming from a very well-to-do family. You don't have a lot of advantage. And suddenly you begin to look down on yourself. But you see, life is not about possessions. Take all the material things aside. Look at yourself as one unique person and begin to reflect on your life. And you will see that your life couldn't have been the way it is if God 
did not have a great plan for your life. There's no way. There's no way that God has a plan for your life. God created you for a unique purpose. That is what will make you celebrate yourself. Now, everything I'm saying now about self-discovery, self-discovery helps you, number one, you will become a confident person. Number two, you stop trying to become like another person. You become somebody who is not easily influenced by other people's opinions. And the more you become confident, the more you don't want titles. I've come to realize that. The more you are happy with yourself. And great leadership begins when you begin to detach yourself from titles and positions. And you become more concerned about your influence in life. Because real wealth is not in titles, it's in influence. That is why Cristiano Ronaldo will earn more than his captain in the club. Because the, the money is in the influence, it's not in the title. Yeah, but confidence brings you to the place where you don't need a title to feel important. You don't need a position to feel important. You are happy with yourself. You are happy with yourself. You celebrate your life. You appreciate yourself. You thank God for who you are, or what he has made you, that he has made you unique as a person, and you are happy with yourself. You know, there's something called mental well-being. Mental well-being is different from mental health. You see, mental health has to do with being sound in the way you think. And when you have a mental health problem, you need a psychiatrist. But you can have good mental health and yet not have a very good mental well-being. Mental well-being has to do with how you think about yourself. How do you think about yourself? Some people don't think about themselves well. And that is what we call a low self-esteem. Low self-esteem. You are insecure. Now, if you are an insecure leader, you cannot work with gifted people because you feel threatened by the oppressor. In fact, insecure people can't even work in a team. They want to work alone because they feel lost in a team. So God can bless you with powerful people and you fight all of them away because they, they want to overshadow you. You, you. you feel like they are overshadowing you. That is difficult to work with insecure people because you can't even express your full potential. They will say, oh, you are trying to take his place. You are trying to take his position. You are trying to show off too much. You are trying to cover his star. Now, if you're an insecure leader, you cannot even raise people to be greater than you. Yeah, if you're an insecure leader, you can never wish that your followers to be greater than you. You wish they should be smaller than you so that you can remain the, the blue man, the, the film star. <laughs> and an insecure person, if you call him and you don't call him all his titles, you are in trouble. Hey, you are in trouble because he doesn't feel complete without those titles. And it's very, very terrible. And God wants you to be a good leader. And you need to be a leader that is confident, you are secure, you are happy with who you are, you, 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 you can work in a team, you can work with gifted people, you can raise people to be great. Listen, if somebody passed through your hands is doing better than you, it is to your praise. It's your praise. It's your praise. You must not be the best among all the people you brought up. No. Hallelujah. You must bring up people who are doing well, who are excelling in what they do. 
and you encourage them to do it. You see, you must be somebody who spots potentials in your followers that they, they themselves cannot see. It's my pastor who told me to go on radio. Do you understand? It's my pastor who told me to go on radio. And my pastor is not on radio. But he told me, he said, you have listened to your teachings. Uh, you can be a blessing on radio. So go on radio. In fact, he's, he's a pastor who is talking to me. Now go on TV. Because your teaching will bless people on TV. So go on TV. And my pastor is now on TV. You see? So you have to be the kind of leader that bring out in people what they themselves cannot see. And you can never do that unless you pass the first test, self-discovery. Self-discovery. If you're a great business person, one day you should be able to look at somebody and say, look, I think you can run your own business well. I'm going to train you and release you to start your own business and still mentor the person. It won't spoil anything. There are some people, if you work in their company, the day they even heard that you are taking further studies, you are going for further studies, they will sack you. Even just, you are going for further, because they believe that if you work here, you must never make progress. Is that not witchcraft? <laughs> like, when the woman becomes your employee, no progress. No progress. Self-discovery is very important in the leadership process. It's very, very important that you must know who you are. Believe in yourself before others can believe in you. You cannot sell anything you don't like. It's a principle in marketing. You can never sell something unless you first like it. So it's a principle in sales that for you to be a sales expert, look for something you are passionate about. Then go sell that one. That is the first one. Very important. Very, 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 very important. And I pray that you come to that place in Jesus' name so that God can make a great leader out of you. Because I see that many, many leadership potential are trapped right in this place. Trapped right. There are many people trying to be somebody else. They try to talk like somebody. They try to, 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 to no. Pastors, even in preaching, you preach like yourself. Learn from other preachers, but you cannot preach like somebody else. You can't go and copy somebody's voice, copy somebody's donation, copy, no, 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 no. Be yourself. This is you. And there's nobody like you. And the world is looking for one person called you, and you are trying to be somebody else that they are tired of. People are tired of what you want to become. They are looking for something new in you. Yeah, so be yourself. Now, the reason why this is also important is that many, you will meet many people who don't believe in you. You will meet many people who bully you and treat you like you are nothing. You will meet people who are sent by the devil to cripple every sense of value for yourself. And if you don't have self-discovery, you are not mentally strong to deal with such people. And anything great that God will use you to start, you will be confronted by people who don't believe in it. So if you don't believe in yourself, you fail before you started. If you think people are going to encourage you all the way, no. Sometimes God can give you a great vision. You know what they told Moses one day? They said, who made you? a prince and a judge over us. <laughs> you are a murderer. You think you want to kill me too. You need to believe in yourself. You need to know who you are. So when you start hearing all these negative things or you start seeing all these negative reactions, you must still maintain focus. Yeah. Yeah. 
You must still maintain focus. I'm, I'm, I must assure you, anything great that God would tell you to do, somebody would tell you, you cannot do it. Do you know what the David's brother told him? Eliab told David, when David said, what will be done to the man that will kill Goliath? Do you know what the brother told him? The brother said, where have you left the sheep? Where have you left the sheep? You have come here to cause trouble again. You have come here to cause trouble again. Everywhere you go, you like creating problems. You are a small boy. They are talking about military stuff. You look at what you are doing. What, where have you left the sheep? In other words, David wasn't useful except for sheep. Was he discouraged by that? No. He left them, his brother, and went to talk to some people. Then those people took him to King Saul. Did King Saul encourage David? No, no. Saul said, this man has been fighting from his youth, and you are a youth. That means this man has been fighting from before you were born. Then David said to Saul, don't worry about that. I will go and kill him because I was in the bush taking care of sheep, and a lion came after one of the sheep, and the Lord helped me to kill him. So David could have gone home without killing Goliath, and he would have lost opportunity to make a name for himself. Only confidence can bring you to that point. God can tell you great things. I'm telling you, some of the people you trust most are the first people to discourage you. I'm telling you, sometimes your spouse is the first one to tell you that, you know, you know, joke aside, what you are saying, <laughs> what you are saying, I'm not sure you can do it. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes they are sincere, but they cannot see what God is doing in your life. Yeah, so you need to pass the first test. Self-discovery. Who am I? This is me. I'm here. I'm here now. There's nothing we can do about the past. It's too late, but I'm here. This is my life. The, the second point, personal vision. Personal vision. What is vision? Vision is knowing what you were born to be knowing what you were born to be. Vision is the picture of how your future is supposed to be like. Clear mental picture. This is what helps you to know where you are going from here. So pastor, things, my life is very difficult. Things are terrible. I believe that God has a plan for my life, but I don't know why things are going the way they are going can't pay my bills, I can't pay my rent, blah, 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 blah. So, okay, question, where are you going from here? 10 years from now, where are you going to be? 20 years from now, what do you see? Now, why is vision important? Because if you don't know your vision for life, it implies you don't know where you are going in life, which means you don't have any direction for your life. And if you don't know where you are going in life, you cannot lead people. A leader is someone who knows where he's going. Can I say that again? A leader is someone who knows where he's going. You cannot lead people when you don't know where you are going. Then the people also are lost. You are lost and the people are lost. It becomes like what Jesus said, the blind leading the blind. You must have a vision. You must know where you are going. And you must be able to write it down in what we call a personal vision statement. That means you must be able to summarize your life in one sentence. 
personal vision statement. Now, if you know your personal vision, it becomes easy for you to also develop a vision for any organization you lead. Because if you are a leader over an organization, there has to be a vision that directs the organization. Every world-class company in the world, every global organization has a vision statement. Do you know that? Including ICGC. Our church has a vision that could be written in one statement. So if you are a pastor of a church, your church must have a vision. If you own a business, your business must have a vision. There must be a vision for the business. Business is not just about making money to take care of yourself. If that is why you start a business, you will remain a self-employed person. And you will not be wealthy. You will just have a little money. Whatever organization God will lead you to start, whether it's a school, it's an institution, it's an industry, whatever it is, you need to prayerfully develop a clearly outlined vision that is speaking to the future, not now, the future. Now, how do I have a vision for my life? Fortunately, all of us are Christians, so it's easy. Number one, you need to pray to God. God, help me to see what I was born to become. Now, Jeremiah 1.5 said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, right? God knew you before you were born. There was a picture on God's mind. Somebody that will come on the earth and do A, B, C, D. God had that picture in mind, and then he allowed you to be conceived and to be born. You have to go through the process of growth, but ultimately there's a picture on God's mind. That is what God always transfers to you. If you have the Holy Spirit, one of the important work of the Holy Spirit will help you see what your future is. And most of you have seen it before. Most of you have seen it before. Anytime you look into your heart, anytime you look into your future, there are pictures that come to you. It's not an issue of you dreaming and seeing some things or you are doing 21 days fasting, dry, without water, and then having open angels, seven angels from this place. And no, 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 no. When you are there in your ordinary time, sometimes I ask people, I said, if you have all the money in the world and if you have all the resources available at your disposal, what would we want your life to be? What do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be remembered for? What are the significant achievements that you are very passionate about? You can see them in your future. There's a specific person you were born to become. And one way to do that is to take your notebook or a plain sheet. I always tell people, take one A4 sheet and write the heading, my vision for life. And then you start writing number one, number two, number three. And you keep writing everything that comes to your mind. You write them, just write. Don't worry about it, just write. And, and then when you continue to go through these things, you will come to the point where all that you are written begins to form into one clear picture. Now, this is very important because it helps you to know where you are going. Then you don't follow people blindly. You know, sometimes I meet people, today they are doing this. The next time you met them, oh, now I've slept there, now I'm doing this. Because they saw somebody else doing this thing, something that is good, they go, they go after it. They don't have originality because they don't have direction. And people want to follow leaders who have consistency in direction. People don't want to follow a leader who is not sure. 
Every day he comes, oh, God has spoken to me. And uh, what God is saying today is the exact opposite of what you said God said yesterday. And the people are becoming confused. So there has to be a vision. Visions give you originality. And you must come to the place where your life can be summarized in your vision statement. Do you know how powerful this is? Habakkuk 2 verse 2, he said, write the vision and make it plain on tablets. Those days they used to write on tablets. Maybe today he said, make it plain on, in your diary that everyone who reads it may run. Vision statements that are written is so powerful that it doesn't only drive you, it drives everyone around you who reads it. That means your followers, your followers. So if you come to my, my study in the house, right beside my desk, you will see a yellow sheet of paper. It's a sticker, I stick it in a particular place. Every day I sit there, before I start studying, I read it. I read my vision statements every day. It's like a poem I can recite anytime you ask me. And each statement there is loaded with direction. It drives why I do things the way I do it. I'm not complacent. I'm always pushing. Are you understanding? I'm always reading and studying about church growth. I'm always trying to look at how to develop my pastoral skills because Something in my mind is telling me you are the pastor of a world-class mega church. Anything that is local, I don't like it in my church. Anything that is inferior, I don't like it in my church. That is why I don't do things, everything I see in other churches. Because there's something driving me. And these things, I did not just think them aloud. I prayerfully came to the conviction. This is what God wants me to do. I believe God wants me to, to be an author. And write a lot of books. If I, this thing I'm teaching you is a book I'm writing. And I believe in being a, a bestseller. That's why I don't rush in my books. I write. Because it's my vision that informs those decisions. The amount of work I put into my ministry, my study, my efforts, my everything is because I believe God has called me with a ministry to the nations. And but I also realize that you won't matter to the nations if you don't have anything to say. No, initially, oh, God has called you, so you will be a global preacher. No, you, you, you will be invited because you have something to say. So it informed my decision to study a lot. I wasn't born with the gift of reading. I had to discipline myself to read, to study, to develop myself, and to create for myself the reputation that merits that standard of ministry. So... Everything that is part of my vision directs my life. Vision helps you to know where you are going and what you are doing. Now, you can be a pastor who is not calling to leadership development. You say, oh, Pastor Hubert, you know, I see this thing is doing. It's very nice. I can also do it in my church. We don't do it that way. We don't do it that way. That's why there are things, I, like I told you, there are things my pastor doesn't do, I do. There are things my pastor does, I don't do. Vision. There are things my friends do, I don't do it. And there are things some of you, God will call you to do, I'll never do it. I'll never do it. God, I'm not calling to that. I know exactly what my vision is. And so because I know mine, I can help you to develop yours. What if I didn't know mine? So if you don't have a vision, you cannot even give direction. Now, look at Joseph's brothers. That's why none of them became a leader. Because they did not have a, none of them had a dream. And they sat him, the only brother who had a dream, they fought him. So personal vision. So you should be able to write your personal vision statement. Then number two, if you lead an organization, you must be able to write 
the personal vision statement of your organization. Amen. Those of you who have your own churches, personal vision statement. Even if you know your own church, you are, you are a branch. Like LifeGate Temple. I mean, the vision of this church is very simple. We want to become a world-class mega church. I want to build this church to become a world-class mega church. This is the vision we pursue. And if you lead an organization, everybody in the organization should be able to know this is the vision we are working with. Number three, your personal mission. Personal mission. Now, what is mission? Mission is what you were born to do. So what's the difference between vision and mission? Vision is what you were born to be. Mission is what you were born to do. Vision is talking about the future. Mission is talking about the present. Your life assignments, your life purpose. I was saying a few minutes ago that you were born with a unique purpose. Okay, what is that purpose? What were you born to do? Why is mission important? So that you don't go about jack of all trades. You can't do everything on DSF. How many of you know you can't do everything? Pastors, you know you can't do everything in ministry. You alone, you are teaching, you are doing deliverance, you are doing prophetic, you are doing crusades, you are doing pastoring, you are doing traveling ministry, you are doing uh, prayer camp, you are doing um, everything. You can't do everything. <laughs> Hallelujah. Your mission is what you were born to do. There are many people you meet them. Today they are doing this. Tomorrow they are doing another thing. Tomorrow they are doing that because they see that somebody is doing something they want to copy. There are people who don't have originality. There are people who don't have predictability. But your mission gives you originality and predictability. When they say, Pastor Francis is coming to that church, there is specific things that that church is expecting because they have watched the guy consistently and they know this is what he does. And so is everybody. I'm not talking to pastors alone. Whether you are in business, whether you are, whatever you do, you must know your life mission. Because people will try to push into doing other things that you were not born to do. You don't have grace to do everything. You don't have the potential for everything. So you must know your mission in life and be able to write it down into a personal mission statement. ICGC, our mission statement is Raising leaders, shaping vision, influence society. It's simple. It's called a mission statement. So what is your mission in life? What were you born to do? Because if you don't know what you were born to do, you will keep doing the wrong things to the day you die, and you will waste your life. Think about it. Moses was going to be the king in Egypt, but he realized that is not what I was born to do. So he said, no. I abandoned the throne. I was born to be the leader of Israel. I prefer to lead Israel and to receive the Ten Commandments and to write the laws. First five books of Moses was written by a man that was going to be a secular king, bowing down to idols in Egypt. Oh, yes. He was called to be a leader and a prophet. Talk to God face to face. Write the first five books of Moses. He was being trained in the school of Egypt to become the king, a secular king. And an idol worshiper performed sacrifices in the Nile River to idols, to marine spirits and powers. That was what Moses would have done. We would never have heard of him. And there are many of you here. Nobody has heard of you yet because you are busy doing something you were not born to do. You are busy doing things God never created you to do. And can I say something? Your blessing is hidden in what you were born to do. Your prosperity 
is in what you were born to do. All the favor and the grace you are praying for destiny helpers, it is tied to what you were born to do. If nobody is coming to help you, probably you are doing the wrong thing. Believe me. So your mission is finding what you were born to do and be able to write it down. This begins to regulate your life. This is what defines priority. What do I spend the priority of my time on? The quality of my time. It should be on your mission. You must not busy yourself doing a lot of things you were not born to do. You know that one day, all of you here, you are going to stand before Christ and give account of your life. And you are going to give account based on what you were born to do. How well you did it. Now, if you find what you were born to do, you excel because there is grace on it. There is grace on what you were born to do. If you keep doing the things you are not born to do, you struggle. You struggle. And life is not supposed to be a struggle, please. Life is supposed to be easy. Challenges come by you conquer and overcome. But you must find where you belong. You must find where your strength is. And your strength is in what you were born to do. And you must know it clearly. You must now, now, okay, so question is, how do I know my life mission? One, pray to God. Ask God to tell you what you were born to do. Number two, identify what your passion, what you are passionate about, your passion. Number three, find out to you the greatest pain. What are the issues that give you the greatest pain? Everything I'm saying now is in my book. If you read my book before, I'm sure you've seen it. If you've not read it before, maybe you should go and read it. <laughs> so the first one is what? You pray. The second one, your passion. The third one, your Pain. The fourth one is your giftings and abilities. What are you gifted in? What are the things you can do easily without any struggle? What are the things that people always ask you to do for them? Because they've realized that you have a special grace in it. It's a pointer to your life's purpose. Your pain. What, what causes the greatest pain? Moses was always troubled by the pain of the Israelites the way they were suffering in Egypt. You wanted to do something about it. What are the problems you always want to do something about? For instance, if you were born a politician, you cannot see things going on like this and not want to rise up and do something about it. The rest of us will say, well, let's be praying, things will change. But a born politician said, no, prayer alone is not enough. I must do something. <laughs> so your pain, what are you passionate about? Passion is unusual interests, and that will give you joy. In fact, passion is what you are willing to do without a salary. Your assignment is what you are willing to do even if you are not paid for it. Can I say that again? Your assignment, your mission, is the things that you want to do. Even if you are not paid, you still want to do it because you get the greatest satisfaction and joy in doing them. So, personal mission, very important. It helps you to allocate your priority time to the best activities that can help you achieve your lifetime dreams and goals. All right, let's take the last one. Your personal, hey, I thought we were on the last one. Personal discipline. Wow, this one is a lot. Okay, let's go through. Um, personal discipline is ability to do right things without supervision. 
mastering the five basic weaknesses of humanity. I think I've talked about the, the previous leadership seminar. Five basic weaknesses of humanity. Who can remember? First one is what? The five weaknesses that are, you are most liable to fall the temptation to. One, food. Food. If Esau was here, he would have told you it's true. Food is number one. Number two is what? Drinks. Drink. The third one is sex. Fourth one is money. Fifth one is recognition. If you don't know how to master these five, you will never be a great leader. Because most people in leadership position has love power because of one of these five. Some of them, food. You have to learn how to discipline yourself not to be overtaken by food. If you cannot walk away from food, even when you are hungry, you cannot be a good leader. Because sometimes there are food you must not eat. <laughs> but hunger will tell you, eat it or you will die. And yet you know that if you eat this food, your leadership is gone. Okay? So food. You must be able to master food before you can be a good leader. As for drinks, we all know it. You know, there's, there's an interesting thing about drink. When you said, oh, I'll just take a little. Drink is addictive. You see, drink is addictive. So if you say, oh, me, I take small, I don't take much. Before long, you become addicted. Then now you take more and more. And when you are drunk. You can't lead, can you? Your sense of reasoning and judgment is all destabilized. So anytime people want to influence your decisions, they just give you a little drink. Anytime people want to take secrets from you, they just give you a little drink. Anytime people want to find out sensitive things from which you don't want to say, they just give you a little drink and you are, you are, you are, you are wonderful. You just talk all your heart out. <laughs> and what about sex? Very powerful, isn't it? Many, 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 many people are in leadership position, but the real leader is a little girl who is in bed with the big man. And when the girl calls the shots, if the girl said they should remove you, you are, you are gone, believe me. <laughs> because she is controlling the boss. And yet, some people cannot say no to sex. Illeg Let me qualify it. Illegitimate sex. Illegitimate sex. Some people cannot say no to it. And if you are a leader who is not disciplined against sex, all your enemies will trap you. And there are some people who are, who are quiet because there's a video somewhere. They said the day you say, Fee, who's... <laughs> You have lost all your power because somebody is having a video which they will show to your boss, they will show it to your wife, they will show it to your customers, they will show it to all your, the world. So now your hands are tied. Because of a girl whom you could have walked away from and gone home happily to be with your wife. So discipline is a very important thing. And what, discipline is important because every human being in his natural self wants to do wrong. We all want to do the wrong things. 
How many of you wake up every day and you don't want to eat? We all want to eat. We all want to sleep. By now, how wonderful will it be if you are home sleeping? You would have called it a good day, isn't it? <laughs> we don't want to sleep. We, don't, we all don't want to work. We all don't want to do the right things. We don't all don't want to read. I wish, there some, I wish, you know, I wish there was something that can just carry all books and, and then scan it into your head. <laughs> we all don't want to pray, do we? Do we really want to pray? Oh, you pray for hours. You fast for weeks. It takes discipline. It takes discipline to wake up in the night and pray. It takes discipline to read. It takes discipline to do the right things. It takes discipline for people to provoke you and you have to exercise self-control. It takes discipline for people who are doing the wrong thing. You say, no, I'm a leader. I don't need to do this. It's not a good example. It takes discipline all the time. Avoid doing wrong. It takes a lot of discipline. All right? Yeah. And so um, the five basic weaknesses and then principle-centered controls. When we talk about controls, we are talking about the fact that don't trust yourself too much. Don't trust yourself too much. So um, create boundaries and establish principles that govern you. It makes your life very safe. Yeah, so if you are a leader, for instance, pastors, I don't think it's a good idea for you. You have been invited to go and preach somewhere and you go with a lady alone. I'm talking about to go and preach in another town and you go with a church member lady. Your wife is not there. No brother is there. That's not a wise thing to do. It, it, it may not be that you are going to do something bad with a girl, but it's not good. You are tempting yourself. And I don't think you should trust yourself too much. It's not a good idea to go to church members' home alone. Personally, up to now, I don't go to a lady's house alone unless she's married and has a family. But I have a single lady alone. Up to now, I don't do it. I go with somebody. I go with somebody. So in case they lock the door on me, <laughs> if they lock the door on me, at least I'll shout for the brother outside to, to go and call people to come and save me. <laughs> because you never know what people are capable of doing. Yeah, so don't tempt yourself. Up to now, if I want to eat, I send males to buy me food. There are a lot of Christian brothers in the church. If I want to have prayer time in the night, I call boys to come and pray with me. If I'm traveling out of town, my wife is not going, I go with males. I mean, there are certain things that you should do to just protect yourself. Because you should not trust yourself too much. You are not an angel. Hmm? Your body is not wood. Your body is human. It's flesh and blood. Late night chats with lady church members. You know? Because some members... I can understand how some members do this. Like, hi. And then he won't say anything. And then... When, he's, when he also do hi, then say... Hello. <laughs> <laughs> then he's waiting for you to answer. Then when you say hello, he said, how are you? Then, then you respond, I'm fine. Then you respond, we, we thank God. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't waste my time on such. 
If you are a member of my church, you want to talk to me, go straight to the point. Pastor, good morning. This is this. Uh, you do hi, I don't respond. I used to, but I realized that uh, I ask questions like, where are you now? I mean, like, you are, you are WhatsApping me at 12.30 a.m. and you're asking, where am I? <laughs> and if you are a pastor, you are smart. You should not be answering such things because you are, you are leading yourself. <laughs> so I, I think that you should, um, you should create boundaries that makes it difficult. Even if somebody plans to tempt you, the person should find it very difficult. Don't make it so easy for people to just infiltrate into your life and create problems for Because I'm saying that you are not as holy as you thought. And when you see people who are not living a moral life, it's not like they are any different from you. And I've tell people all the time, me are... Since I gave my life to Christ, I've never had sex with any lady except my wife. Since I became born again. That means, till I got married, I never had sex since I got married. And that's a miracle. Looking at who I was before I gave my life to Jesus. That's a miracle. Are you understanding me? Yeah. And I pastored for seven years before I married. I pastored as a single person. And I was pastoring people, ladies in the church. I mean, beautiful ladies in the church, but it is that difficult. It is that difficult. Because when I was single, my home was full of boys. I mean, where are you going to pass? My home was full of boys. And so most of those boys are pastors now. And, and we cook ourselves and we do everything ourselves. When I was courting with my wife, she never went, came to my bedroom till we married. And I never went to my wife's bedroom till we got married. Because it's a lifestyle I had. Pastor Victor will tell you where I learned it from, you know. We stayed with, with a pastor in the house and he taught us. So, my wife never knew how my bedroom looked like until we married. And the truth is, you cannot have sex on the street, can you? It's only in the room you will have sex. So, once you are not there in the room, sex is already impossible. So there's a way you make it impossible for yourself by not being at the places where the thing can happen. So under personal discipline, we talk about making yourself accountable to a higher authority. Okay? So you must have people in your life that you are accountable to. And if you don't have anybody like that, you're already a failure before you started. We'll, we'll look at personal management. Um, next year, I think I'll be if, um, if God permits, I'll be looking at personal management. And then I also want us to look at emotional intelligence. There's a book I want to recommend. Do you have it here? Emotional Intelligence. Um, that's, it's one of the best books I've ever read. I have a copy of it on, uh, in my library. And I want to encourage those of you who can get it and read. It's written by one of the professors in Harvard University. His name is Dr. Daniel Goldman. He's written two books. One is Emotional Intelligence. The second one is Social Intelligence. And uh, these are serious leadership books that are coming out. Um, these are new leadership concepts that have come about um, speaking to 
some of the things that we've talked about, if you actually find it in the book, but more than that. And it, it tells how you can develop your relationship skills because most of the leadership programs we have today has to do with poor relationship skills and all that. Okay. So thank you very much for your attention. And uh, I think we should take some questions and then we pray. Um, you raise your hands. If, but if there are no questions, then I have to continue and finish up. But I think we should take more questions. If you have questions for me. Who is taking the first question? Have you learned something today? Okay. Any questions? On everything we've learned? Maybe even if it's not on what we've learned, but it's a, a question on leadership. Okay, there's a, there's a hand here. Let's, let's start from there. Thank you, man of God. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, you can sit down. You made mention of being original and shouldn't copy. I also heard preachers and pastors say we have to follow the art of who you have to copy. There is nothing original. There is nothing new under the sun. Where do you draw the line? Yeah, you, you have to follow people's principles. I got to mean, you learn from people. In fact, even Jesus said to the disciples, follow me. But of course, he was not saying they should also go and die on the cross. <laughs> he didn't say they should become saviors of the world. He was trying to tell they should learn from him. When you study the life of great leaders, you can see traces of people they follow in their lives. But there must be originality to your identity. So originality has to do with your identity. Copying has to do with the principles. What if you are following me, but God has told you to do something I'm not doing. For instance, if it's just about copying, why should I be on radio when the person who brought me up, whom I follow, is not on radio? So you understand that there has, still has to be originality. Any leader who says, copy everything I do and don't do anything else, is not going to help all his followers well. Because if God is calling you into other things, then you have a problem. You can limit your potential just by copying people because God may want you to do certain things differently. For example, one of the leaders that I really, really, really um, follow and learn from is Dr. Otago. Yes, but if, I, if all I have to do is copy him, then I shouldn't be doing miracle services because he doesn't do. But I do miracle services because it's a calling that God has given me. So... I follow Dr. Otago and I learn his teaching skills from his great teaching ministry his, and, and great example. And I try to find out his secrets to being a great Bible teacher and all that. But I have to bring it to my own originality uh, because what makes me unique is to, for me to be able to create my uniqueness out there that there is a pastor called Reverend Henry Hubert out there. He is a great follower of Dr. Otago, but my unique identity should not be lost. Because the moment it is lost, uh, you become irrelevant. You become irrelevant. But most of you have been, have been influenced by my life. Most of you pastors here. It means that I'm being relevant. But I, I, I borrow ideas from somewhere to make that happen for you. I understand. And some of you may not have access to Dr. Otabo for a long time, but you have access to me. Yeah. And so there are people out there that your ministry is supposed to touch, that I can never touch. That's why you, you must not become me. 
you must be yourself. Because another important thing about that I have been teaching in this church is that people give to your uniqueness. That's why the corporate world has learned the important um, secret called branding. People give to your uniqueness. And all about branding is uniqueness. So one day, I want it to be that when they said, Reverend Henry Bell is coming to that church, people must have clearly on their mind what to expect. And they don't expect Dr. Otabel. No, no. They are expecting someone is coming to teach. And whilst I'm teaching, I'm going to be operating word of knowledge. I'm going to be operating the prophetic strong. And I'm going to be praying for miracles to happen. That's me. You understand? So people should even invite you to their churches because of your uniqueness. Otherwise, you just become a utility material. You know, some pastors are just utility. You know what is utility? When you are traveling, the person you look for to come and stand in for you is it's a utility preacher. But your uniqueness will qualify you to be invited because of the difference you have to make. The difference you have to make. Why should somebody invite you to his church to come and do the same things that the person is already doing? If all you have to offer is what I already have in this church, I should not invite you unless I'm traveling. And I said, come and stand in for me. That is utility. That is not uniqueness. So this is very important. If you are a leader, you must know how to create your own uniqueness. And, and how to develop yourself into a brand. Because that is what people pay for. Yeah. Even in the football world, you see it. Every great footballer, if you talk to C. Ronaldo or any of this, they will tell you they have a role model. And they will mention some of the old, old footballers. But they've also managed to create their own. You understand? So any football club that is going to buy a player, they, they have a specific expectation in mind. What we need before they go by. I don't know. Have I answered you? Yes. Okay. A follow up. Yes. Fine. Pastor, it suggests that um, picking a mentor's books, reading them, teaching them every day is not the best. Take a mentor's book, book. Mm-hmm. celebrity hook, line, and sinker, and teach it, preach it every day. It depends on the content. If it's principle, you can't change principle. For example, your mentor has written a book on faith, and you are teaching on faith. You can't change the principle. But certain practices that are not biblical doctrine or biblical principle, you have to manage how you communicate it. And it also depends on the timing. It's not everything in your mentor's book you can teach per time. Because when you are pastoring, you have to be able to teach on every subject. You know that. Pastors, you know that. If you are a pastor, you should be able to teach almost on everything because your members look up to you for information. So you have to teach on baptism, teach on prayer, teach on the Holy Spirit, teach on everything, giving, finances, health, teach on everything, demons, angels, teach on everything. So that is pastoring. But ministry is different. When you are developing your own unique ministry. You, you must know you have an area of calling where certain subjects become more 
paramount to your call than others. So there are people who may teach about faith more than some people who teach about the Holy Spirit, for example, or whatever subjects. Some people focus on... I mean, there are people in this country, you can just know what the message they have, but what they are passionate on. But then they can also be able to teach about many things if they are in their own church. But to say that the only teaching you will do is your mentor's books is very bad. Because the Holy Spirit will give you understanding into scriptures differently, based on your calling, based on your calling and uh, how you teach it. But even, you see, you see, if the Holy Spirit gives you an understanding to developing the message, you should find out what has your mentor got to say on this subject. Do you understand? For instance, when I'm preparing my messages, the first question I ask, if I'm teaching on prayer right now, the first thing I want to find out is what does Dr. Otabu say about prayer? I need to factor that into my message. The next thing I do is, who are the authorities on prayer around the world? So you, you look for people like that. Archbishop Duncan Williams is one. And uh, E.M. Bounce is there. <laughs> I mean, talk the names. You see? Then you, 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 because you are not an authority yet. So you must, for instance, if you are doing scholarly work, you must, you must be able to quote sources for your work, for your scholarly work to be considered as credible. Preachers must do the same. If you want to teach on faith right now, you should be able to start with Kenneth Hagin. Yes. How can you teach on faith in your church and you haven't read anything Kenneth Hagin said? It means your message is very porous. It's not, it's not rich in content. You should, you should bring in Kenneth Hagin's ideas. You should bring in Oyedepo. You should bring in Smith Wigglesworth. Thank you. These are authorities. Then you bring in people like, um, who else? You read all these people before you now come and do your own studying. And then if you have a mentor, like I do, now I then I have to go and look at what does Dr. Otabel, what has he taught in church about that? And I bring it inside. So every time you listen to me on a subject, it's a result of many minds added to my own thinking and study. You can never get it wrong. You can never get it wrong. You cannot teach about the Holy Spirit in your church without reading what Benny Hinn. You must read. Benny has written four books on the Holy Spirit. You must read all. Otherwise, you are not qualified to teach on the Holy Spirit. That is why many preachers preach, and the preaching is not powerful. It's not, it's too prose. Like you, Saturday night, you just take your Bible and you find something. Then you go and you shout and you sweat your members are not being adequately fed. <laughs> so, have I answered you? Okay. That you make mention of creating your own uniqueness mm -hmm. as the way to go. Yeah. Uh, what if you belong to an organization where uh, it's not the founder's style will not make your uniqueness find expression? How do you manage that? It's not a good organization. And the Lord give you grace. Yeah. That's why I like ICGC. That's why I like ICGC. ICGC, we are a good organization because we, and those of you who are general overseers, please, those of you who have your own churches, when your ministry begins to grow, don't allow insecurity to make you cage people. 
You understand? Uh -huh. If you stand at one place and you preach, it doesn't mean all your pastors should stand at one place and preach. If you are a teacher, it doesn't mean all your pastors should be teachers. Some can be preachers. Some can be prophets. But there are certain ministries you cannot create your own uniqueness. Like what I'm doing now, there are certain ministries you cannot do it. Without, the general overseer will not permit you to do it. But look at what I'm doing. I'm on radio. I'll soon get on TV. It's encouraged. Do you know it is because the leader is not insecure. So he creates an environment where people can dream about doing great things. That's what makes ICGC powerful and strong. And we should have that in your churches. Please, my name is Sylvester okay. from Good News Assembly, Bichely. Okay. My question is um, about staying original. Yeah. They say you are a young man who have been discovered by your pastor, mm -hmm. that you are a man of God. Mm. In that field, you are naive about it. How do you stay original mm -hmm. without imitating him or following the same leadership skills of him? Yes, you have to follow his leadership skills. You have to learn from him. You have to try to do things the way he's doing. But whilst you are doing that, you, you, you try to discover yourself. Because self-discovery, personal vision, personal mission, is a process. It takes time. But you have to learn first. When I say be original, it doesn't mean that you won't do everything your leader is doing. Let me give you an example. Dr. Otabu prays, I pray. I can't say I want to be original. So Dr. Otabu is praying, me, I won't pray. You understand? Yes, there are certain things that are life practices of every successful person in a particular trade. So if it's business, it's there. If it's ministry, with your originality, you must know how to pray. And you have to learn the prayer life of your leader. Except that as you grow on, the Spirit of God himself will teach you. For example, let me give you an example. My pastor is an early riser. My pastor sleeps. By 9, my pastor is asleep. By 4 a.m., he is awake. So his prayer time is from 4 a.m. to around 6 Saturday nights, by 1 a.m., he's up and he prays. And then by 6 a.m., he's in church. I am a, a night person. You understand? So I don't sleep at 9 p.m. 9 p.m., my face is clear. In fact, that was the time I'm, I come alive. <laughs> That's the time my day is beginning. I'm very alert. I'm sharp. I read a lot. So I, if you come to my house, 9 10, I'm reading. 11, I leave the desk and I go to pray. I pray up to 1. So by 4 a.m. when my pastor is up, I'm now beginning to sleep. You understand? So that is my originality. But that doesn't mean I didn't learn prayer from my pastor. If you see me leading prayer, unless you don't know my pastor, you will know this is, this is an impartation. When I'm leading prayer, it's exactly... You understand? Huh? So I learned prayer from him. But as time went on, I realized that I have to bring it into my own context. So my pastor is the director for prayer in the whole of ICGC. Greater West Prayer Command Center is the director. Because in ICGC, he's, he's, no, he's noted as the most outstanding person when it comes to prayer. How can I say I am his son? And yet, I can't lead prayer. 
There must be a question. You understand? Yes. Yes. So, so when I start leading prayer, nobody would tell you that I was brought up by a prayerful man. But then the day-to-day realities of your unique life, that is where the difference comes from. I follow him. But you must learn from your leader. You must learn from your leader. If you don't learn from your leader, you can never become successful. So I don't know whether I'm making myself clear. You must learn. And then as you learn and you learn and you learn, your own originality begins to manifest in your own context, in your own unique context. So let's take it uh, one after the other. Okay, let me take the one from the back. Yeah, okay. Um, In the instances where you don't get satisfied with, um, as a follower into leadership, that you don't get too much satisfied Mm -hmm. and you make a look away. Mm -hmm. If... uh, When I say look away, do you mean leave? Not Or you learn from other places? You learn from other places. Okay. And you go pick up wrong things Mm -hmm. that doesn't uh, fit in. Mm -hmm. Uh... How do you manage it? Okay. Manage it. That okay. is number one. Okay. And number two, would you still say uh, the person can look elsewhere again for further information or further feed? Okay. Thank you. Okay. Very very important question. Now, no one leader can teach you everything. Everybody learn know this. No one leader can teach you everything in life. But you must have a starting point. For example. I am an ICGC pastor. Dr. Otabel is the leader for me. Why? Because of the organization I work in. Before I go and learn from other people, I must first learn from Dr. Otabel and add other people's own to him. Now, what is wrong is I don't listen to Dr. Otabel at all. And some some pastors are like that. They are in ICGC, but their mentor is T.D. Jakes, or Oyedepo, or Duncan Williams. There are some ICGC pastors now. If you come to their house, there's no one book of Dr. Otabel in the house. No one CD of Dr. Otabel. That one is rebellion. Do you understand? Your actions are speaking to the fact that you don't respect the one you follow as an authentic source of information. Okay, but this is what I do. Every Monday, I listen to Dr. Otabel the whole day on podcast. I just play it, continuous play. I don't, it doesn't matter whether I've heard that message before. I love his voice. Yes, but apart from Dr. Otabel, I still listen to a lot of people. For example, I know God called me into miracle ministry. So, I, I mean, can I learn miracle ministry from Dr. Otabel? Oh. <laughs> so, the Lord spoke to me, follow Benny Hinn. So, when it comes to miracle ministry, Benny Hinn is the one I follow. I watch his videos, I watch his... When I have miracle service from Monday, you, I start watching continuously. Then when I start fasting, I'm watching. And then I'm getting into the mood. I have a miracle ministry. I'm, I know I'm, God has called me into leadership development. I, I follow people like John Maxwell, Sam Chand, Stephen Covey, Anybody has heard of Stephen Covey before? Very, very outstanding leadership expert. I recommend his books to you. He wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he has written eight other books which you must read. All right? 
So when it comes to leadership, John Maxwell, Dr. Miles Monroe, Stephen Covey, and Sam Chant, these four people, I follow me. I listen to a lot of people. I listen to Oyedepo, I listen to Derek Prince, I listen to, um, how do you call it, Miles Monroe a lot. I listen to Archbishop Duncan Williams. I listen to all the good preachers in the world, believe me, I listen. But I listen to my pastor. Every Sunday night, I listen to what my pastor preached on Sunday at church. Then I listen to Dr. Otabel on Monday. So you must have, so what, what, what that will save you from is that anytime you are looking elsewhere and what you are learning is the wrong thing, you will identify it because you are listening to the right voice for a long time. Jesus said, a stranger's voice my sheep will not follow, but they will flee from it because they know the voice of the shepherd. If you follow your pastor, I tell people, you say somebody's your spiritual father. And then I've seen many people who are like that. I mean, very funny. You can tell this guy doesn't listen to you because everything he's doing is exactly opposite what you do. So that word spiritual father is just a an empty statement the person is making. It doesn't really mean it. Because when you call people a mentor or a father, they are people you follow and learn from. And you cannot learn from people without listening to them. So you must have a starting point. Are you, are you following me? You must have a starting point where you listen to the person. You must have a system of following the person's teachings and listening to the person. There are people who go to church, they don't listen to their pastor, but they call another. You know, one day, a prophet friend of mine was coming to preach here, and he came with a member of my pastor's church. Are you understanding me? And I don't have a problem with that, because everybody has a freedom to work with. We want. But what surprised me was that this, this guy was telling me that this prophet is his spiritual father. And I said, ah, but you go to Pastor Eric's church. And this prophet is a spiritual father. Now, when we closed the program, the prophet was telling me, don't tell Pastor Eric that I came with this person. Now, you see the problems we create in church. Now, if what you are doing is right, why are you saying I should not tell? Uh-huh. You see, so when you are a pastor and somebody doesn't go to your church, but I call you spiritual father, you know it's wrong. You know it's wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. When, when your members call another pastor somewhere spiritual father, you must teach them it's wrong. <laughs> you understand? You, uh, please, are you following me? Yeah, so one person cannot teach you everything. But the moment you don't honor your own leader's voice before going after other ones, you are in rebellion. I don't know whether I've made myself clear. So, for instance, one of the preachers I respect and I love to listen to a lot is Pastor Chris. Now, because when you, I, 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 realize, I know I like him because he has a ministry that I think I kind of can pattern after. He's pastoring, he teaches, he's into miracle ministry, you, you understand? And I want to pastor, I want to do a lot of teaching, I want to do miracle ministry and all that. But there are times I don't agree with things he teach. But I still respect him. For instance, during the COVID time, some of the things he was saying, I don't agree with it. And I did not follow it. And I did not do them. He said, nobody should use mask. I was wearing mask. He said, people should not take the vaccine. I took a vaccine. He said, um, COVID is not real. It's just imaginary. I believe COVID is real. I believe the virus is there. I disagreed with him on everything. 
But what helped me to do that is that Dr. Otabu was talking to us. Take the vaccine. Wear masks. Encourage your members to wear masks. So, so you see, you have now come into direct confrontation with your leader's voice and other people's voice. And this is where your loyalty will be tested. If I go and do what Pastor Chris was saying, it means that I'm in rebellion. And many people do that in church all the time. You get me? So one person cannot teach you everything. But you must have a, a base. You must have a starting point. You must have where your home is. <laughs> you understand? Dr. Otabo knows me. Benihin doesn't know me. Are you understanding? Benihin doesn't know me. From, I just follow him from afar. Oyedepo doesn't know me. So when you dishonor that people know you at the expense of those who don't know you, you are not being smart. Because the day comes, you will realize that you are in serious trouble. And because the people you claim to be the ones you are following, they will not be there for you. Um, I think I saw some hands up still. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. You, uh, you, okay. You, you have a question. Okay. So from there, we'll come to. Okay. So, Imana, let me hear you. You made mention of um, one being a failure from the onset if okay. um, he or she does not have someone that is accountable, accountable to. to. Yeah. I wanted to find out. Um, do you have to be intentional about like, the selection of who you'll be reporting to or going to for accountability, or it comes natural? The person may just found himself around you naturally. No, you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. There are people that you must decide that, because nobody can impose himself on you without, you are an adult. If I say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm your father, now everything I tell you, you must do. You can say yes, sir, to me. But when you leave me, will you go and do it? But I'm not there with you. So accountability is a personal decision that for my own safety's sake, I must make myself accountable to somebody. And that means that this is the person who has a right to tell me no to something and I'll not do it. Or yes, and I'll do it. Now, before you make that decision, you must decide based on the person's leadership capacity because it's risky to sacrifice your life in the hands of somebody whose sense of judgment you cannot trust. So you must, you must be accountable to people you know that they will not take you for granted. They will not violate your integrity. They respect you and they wish you well. And you know that if this person is saying, no, it is for your own good that he will say it and that He's not biased. He's very, very fair. And, and also, he is not afraid of telling you the truth when you go wrong. You understand? It's not, I mean, being accountable is not to people who, you know, is always yes to everything you want to do, even if it's wrong. No. Accountability to people who are not envious of your success. They push you out of your comfort zone and they are not afraid of rebuking you. But they also don't abuse that right to always be just bullying you around and treat you like you are. Because there are some people who, no matter how old you are, they just want to treat you like you are a, a small boy. And, and I don't like people treating me like that. So accountability must be intentional. And it could be one person most of the time, or more than one or two. But there must be people that you take seriously, you trust, and they like you, and they wish you well. But they are not going to compromise on principle and let you have your way all the time. So they keep you in check. Because like I said, 
We all can always be right. Sometimes we get it wrong. Yeah, sometimes too, you may not want to do certain things you are supposed to do until somebody push you and say, go and do it. So that's why accountability is very important. And the important thing is that it doesn't mean, accountability doesn't mean the person is micromanaging your life. What you eat this week, he must decide for you. What you, what you, what you buy for your wife, he must, no, 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 no. It's just periodic. Personally, the beginning of every year, I have time with my pastor to tell him what I want to do throughout the year and things like that. I have time with Pastor Kujo. Um, that's what I do. And then if I have very difficult issues that I want direction or clarification, or I want an advice, that is it. But then I know these are people when something is not going right, they are not going to spare and be playing around the bush, you know. You know, one day I was, you know, those days I used to work under my pastor and uh, I was late to church. You know, and my pastor has the habit of standing at the entrance and welcoming people. And I was late and he was standing. And then when I got there, I stretched my hand. My hand remained there. He didn't shake me. He was just looking at me. I remained there. People were looking at us. And then since his hand didn't come out, I, and I was never late to church again. <laughs> Yeah, our, no, nothing will tell you that don't be late to church again, you know. So, yeah, but you must have people in your life like that. Uh -huh. But if you are somebody who is not submissive, you won't go far. I'm, I'm, it's, it's the truth about life. You are rebellious. You don't, you, you don't know how to respect authority. You misbehave towards everybody, including your parents and the people that are supposed to exercise authority over you. You are just a disaster res waiting to unfold. Yeah. I don't know how, have I answered you? Uh -huh. Okay, so there has to be intentionality. And I have come to the place where, even in marriage, I've told my wife, if she has a problem with me, who she should talk to. And of course, it's my pastor. I talk to my pastor. My pastor will rebuke me and after that protect me. He will never betray me. He will never take my secret to the public. You need people like that because, hey, there can be issues. Hey, there can be... See, the more you climb the ladder of life, the more you need trust because there are some people who will blow your cover. <laughs> you, you made their day. When you bring your, you say, hey, that's not what happened. When you are gone, you take his phone. He will spread everything. And after that, he may be sympathizing with you as if he's not the one who said it. Yeah, so it's trust. People you can trust, people you can confide in, people who you can talk to. Okay, so we'll come to you, Francis, so. Okay, Pastor, give it to Pastor. So, okay, let me hear you, and then I come to Pastor Joshua. Give it to him. Okay, thank you very much. Please, my question has to do with, um, in your presentation, you hinted that great leadership or real leadership is based on influence. Mm. So I'd like to ask that as a leader or as leaders, how can we measure our level of influence on, on our followers and not just base it on the fact that they are copying us because you said we should... Focus on originality. So this is from the leader's perspective. How do I know that I'm influencing people to become themselves and not to copy me blindly? Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah, very, very important question. Um, you, you can evaluate your leadership success based on how the things you are teaching people, your followers, how they put it into practice and the results that are manifesting in their lives. Okay, so if you are a good leader very soon it will show on, on the results that are manifesting in the people that you are leading. 
For example, if you are the head of a particular department, what is happening there? If great things are happening in the department, it's traceable to the fact that your influence is creating the needed drive that is making people to perform in an outstanding way. Okay, so performance is the measure of influence. Performance. The results that are coming out from the people you train, the people you lead, the people you teach. That is the evaluation, see? So that is why Jesus, before he gave the Great Commission in Acts 1.8, you remember he always sent people out. Matthew 10, he sent them out, go and preach, cast out demons, heal the sick, blah, 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 blah. He sent the 12. Another time he sent 70. He was looking at how it will be when I'm no more there. So by the time Jesus was telling them in Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel, they've done it before when he was there. Now they are about to do it when he's not there. So the result is what speaks to the leadership. If Pastor Eric wants to evaluate his um, influence on my life, he's going to look at the work I'm doing. The work I'm doing is what is going to be the evaluation for him. Not whether I talk like him, <laughs> I walk like him, or I even dress like him. Those are not the things, the work, the results. That now I'm preaching, now I've done 10 countries, okay? <laughs> I've done 10 countries, I'm, I'm, I'm writing books, I'm on three radio stations, I'm just about getting on two more stations. I'm an ASM in ICGC, I'm, I'm doing all this, Seminars. Um, I mean, this December we are we are meeting 100 pastors in a retreat for for an end of year pastors retreat. Powerful time. I mean, as the pastors, it's not a small thing. 100 pastors this December. Uh, uh, those are the things that. And then the church I'm pastoring, and you know all the testimony that are coming out from my miracle services and all the blessings. Those are the things that speaks to his influence in my life. You understand? Uh -huh. Good. So if I want to see how much my life is influencing people, I look at the work they are doing and the results that is coming out. It implies I can tell if the people follow me and those who don't. Is it not easy? Because if I give you the microphone, what you say tells me this guy follows me or he doesn't. Very simple. If I watch your life, the way you treat church members can tell me you don't follow me or you follow me. When you are interpreting, when you are preaching, the way you handle the scriptures can tell me whether you are following me or you don't follow me. <laughs> the way you exegete and, and, and explain the scriptures, whether you are just bullying, butchering things, throwing scripture, one scripture after the other, or you take your time to... If I say lead prayer, I can tell whether you... <laughs> you you follow me or not. So the results, the results. You see, one day the Pharisees gathered and they said, ah, these guys have not been to school before. But the way they talk, they talk like learned people. Then the Pharisees said, oh, it's because they have been with Jesus. Have you seen that in the Bible before? Yeah. So they could trace the results in the life of the disciples to the fact that they've been with Jesus. 
So the people you follow, if you are a true follower of somebody, the effect will show in your life. The effect will show in your life. I hope I've answered you. Thank you, Pastor. Mm. Just want to say thank you for the principles you are teaching us. But I have a question. Mm. My question is on, at least you've taught about mentoring a lot, which mm. is very good. Mm-hmm. And you can ment- uh, have a mentor from afar. Yeah. So if I want to go into business, yeah. just a follow-up to his question on accountability. Yeah. Yeah. Your accountable person is also in the ministry. Your pastor is also in the ministry. Yes. So if I want to go into business mm-hmm. and I want to pick uh, somebody I'm accountable to, mm-hmm. should I have to pick somebody who is also in business and doing well? Yes. Yes. Okay. Then a follow-up. If the person's personal lifestyle, mm-hmm. I've, I've met some great business guys mm-hmm. who are more like a mentor to me, what I want to do. Mm-hmm. I meet them twice a year. They discuss a lot of things, but they have other no, but you are, you are not following him for a lifestyle. Okay. You are following him for business principles. Okay, so the accountability should be on business. Business okay. only. Okay. okay. Oh, yes. Okay. So Your you. private life, you should be accountable to me if you think okay. I, okay. I, I, I am okay. trustworthy. Okay. So, yes. Okay. So, thank because you. the pastor is responsible for your okay. life. But in business, it is to be good to have other people who are successful. Successful. Okay. And you. you can have remote ones, like somebody you are accountable to. But you can also have people that you cannot, you cannot even meet, but they are successful business people. And the only way they can mentor you is through their books or their videos on YouTube or their seminars and things like that. And I recommend that if you're in business, you should get all the books that written by Richard Branson. I think he has done some very good books on business. He has about eight books. I have all of them. And I will encourage you to have books written by um, Richard Branson. And there are other very successful, um, and, and, and maybe biographies too. For example, Steve Jobs, there's a biography of Steve Jobs' life written by Walter Isaacson. So, so you can do that, but then you, you, you don't have to take a, your past as a mentor in everything. No, no. It, if you are in business, you must have somebody out there. He can, he can give you some very good ideas and advice and even open some doors for you, if need be. Yes. Yeah. Um, after you have prayed about the vision or you have received your vision mm-hmm. or discovered what you were called to do, mm-hmm. or is it um, progressive? Can it be progressive? Can the vision be progressive? Um, maybe as you pursue that which you think God, um, you were born to do. Mm-hmm. Can to, there be, to do or to be? To be, sorry. Mm-hmm. Can there be ad, um, additions? Are you be? talking about vision or your mission? No, the vision. Vision. Okay. Of course, vision is a future thing. So by all means, it has to be progressive. Okay, I understand you. Yes, you may not get a clear picture in a day. You never, never. What I'm just telling you now, I could add to it tomorrow. Eh? I just told you five things I believe is my vision. To be the pastor of a world-class mega church. I don't think I may add any because I've been at this thing for a long time. And don't you think you can see what I'm saying about yourself overnight? What I'm, tell- what I'm saying now is something I've worked on for well over 10 years. of studying on vision and, and things like that. So when I say um, the pastor of a world-class a mega church, a, a best-selling author, an international conference speaker, 
um, a leadership consultant and one of the best Bible teachers in the world. Well, who knows? God may show me something more than that tomorrow. And then I add it. It's not, nobody will arrest you. It's your, your life you are trying to. And, and sometimes even, it is not about addition, but rephrasing the whole thing or details. Details. So the law can give you more details. For example, when the Lord spoke to me the first time about leadership, I thought all I was going to do was pastoral training. And you know I've, I've been very passionate about pastoral training. But one day the Lord spoke to me that I want you to start a leadership conference that will bring together a forum for uh, Christians to develop leadership ability. And it must not be focused on pastors but it must be focused on people in the corporate world and in also in politics. So the details will come um, as time goes on. And depending on your maturity, your faith, and also your work with God, you'll give you more details. So as the details come, you can rephrase what God is telling you, and then you, you develop it. So there is, the whole thing is just... And I think it should be very, it should be, it should be a dynamic thing. It should be like an organism. That means it's alive and it can always take on more dimensions. I, I don't know what I've answered you. Yes, please. I follow up. Um, must it be connected? Maybe because you, um, you're a pastor, all the, um, the vision is aligned to maybe speaking and teaching. No. Being a best-selling author has nothing to do with preaching. Your vision must not only be about preaching. God can, as a pastor, God can take you into other things. I don't know what examples to give, but God can take you into other things. Either Dr. Otto, I believe God wanted him to build a university, a Christian university. He said it since the first time I stepped into ICGC. I started hearing him, and he's done it. It's a vision fulfilled. He fulfilled so it, it doesn't necessarily have to be about preaching. Have I answered you? Thank um, you. I know preachers who, have, who are running orphanages, who have built schools, who have built um, streets, um, hospitals, uh, streets, ministry, taking care of raising funds from rich people to support street children, um, um, a whole lot of things. But I'm saying it must be something the Lord is showing you that this is your life. Then you know you are pursuing a divine mandate of God. When that happens, the earlier discouragements will never shake you. It will not move you. Another sign that is of God is that anytime you do it, there's this excitement you feel. There's this excitement you feel. Yeah. Anytime I do it, even if only two people come, I go home so, so, so excited. I, don't, I can't explain it. Is there any other question? Okay, okay, I guess let me hear you. Thank you. Okay, okay let me right, hear you. Pastor, um, um, over the years, I've realized that all the pastors um, you raised from this church that you sent out um, are all into miracle service. And you were talking about uniqueness. And so, <laughs> as somebody that you'll be sending out very soon, that, that I believe. Yeah, I've yeah, been wondering yeah. that... You'll be going out very soon. <laughs> that yeah. am I also going to 
have miracle service. Because it's like everybody's doing miracle service at the end of the month. Why, why not? <laughs> okay. Okay. Supposing I say I am a follower of Dr. Otavo, but I cannot teach the Bible well. Don't you think people raise questions about me, whether I'm a true follower of Mensa Otavo? If you are a pastor and you are being brought up by a pastor, there are basic core practices that you must be able to do. And I believe, and me, my ministry philosophy is that every pastor must teach well, preach well, pray for miracles. That's my philosophy. Me, I don't believe that me, I'm called to teach. Some people must, no, 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 no. And there's a reason why I do that. By the time I take you through, nobody will tell you to do miracle service. Because the people you invite, before refusing to do miracle service, there are people you invite to come and do miracle service in your church for you. They're going to tell your members you are not anointed. And they will take all your members away from you. By the time they took two of your members, nobody will tell you to do it. Yeah, a time is coming, I'm not going to invite any prophet to my church. I can prophesy to my members. I mean, more accurately than most of the people call themselves prophets. Yeah, so what, what, yeah, because, 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 you know, for instance, my pastor has stopped inviting prophets below the age of 50. If you're a prophet, you're not 50 years, you won't preach for Pastor Eric. Because of problems, create problems. You see, you know, I think that for your members to look at you and say, this is a man of God, there must be a reason why they must say that. And one of the reasons is that you help them. So, and I said, people, you see, miracle service is not about you even seeing visions, pushing people to fall. And no, have a service, have a service where your members come with their problems and you can pray with them. You see, uh -huh. you can pray with them and believe God. And when you pray for people by faith and trust God, things will happen in their lives. Because if your members have problems and they are not getting any solution, they will go to other places. They will start running to prayer camps. They will start running to prophetic meetings. Then they start running to shrines. And all you are doing is teaching and teaching and teaching. I tell people, you see, Dr. Otabo is an exceptional leader. He's a phenomenal man of God. He's not the normal kind of man of God. So nobody should just follow him blindly. Otherwise, you end up <laughs> in a place you don't like. The fact that he's not doing miracle services does not mean you should. That man is a man out of this world. It's a special grace on his life. That like even if he's not praying for miracles, in, even, even that, when you listen to Dr. Otabo privately, even though he doesn't pray for miracles in the service, he does a lot of praying for his members. Now, I tell you, my pastor wakes up 1 a.m. every Saturday. Where did he learn it from? He learned it from Dr. Otabo. And then I also learned it from Pastor Eric. And Dr. Otabo taught my pastor that from 1 a.m. to 4, he prays for his members. And he's praying about their problems, their needs. And so before the people even came to church, a lot of their needs have been dealt with by the man. So people have secrets, you see, so you have to. So as for the miracle service, by the time I take you through orientation, nobody will tell you to do it. 
But then you also have to add your own originality to it in your church. That's it. But it still has to be miracle service. And anybody that follow me well will have the same results. If you're not getting the same results, there's a question mark. There's a question mark. Only one, the last question, because I said we're going to keep to my time today is 2.35. And uh, let's close with the last question. Thank you, Pastor. Please, I want to know, how do you handle the power that comes with the influence? The power. Yeah. How do you manage it? Yeah. Without hurting yourself or other people. Yourself and and other. people. Yeah. Very very important question. For instance, debatably, we can see that maybe if Putin had managed his power more wisely, we wouldn't be where we are. So, so when you become a very influential person, you have to manage it well so that it doesn't hurt you. The number one way is the accountability issue we talked about. If you're a leader, you're accountable. It will help manage your influence. And number two, when I was teaching, I made made mention about principle-centered controls. You must subject your life to principled controls that regulate your life. Do you remember what that, when I said that? So you have controls that are not influenced by situations or by people, but is regulated only by principle. So that if the thing is not good, it's not good all the time, morning, afternoon, evening. You have to make sure that you subject your life. And that is where personal discipline comes in. Personal discipline is what makes people, no matter how great you become, you remain under control. The absence of that is the reason why Success destroys some people. Some people are good until they became successful. Some people are doing things well until they became successful. And when success is rather to have made them better, it destroyed them because there were no controls, there's no accountability, and then everything is messed up. Now, number two, how do you make sure that your influence does not destroy people? Number one, you, you, need, to, you need to know that there is... Uh, you are not an um, absolute authority on earth. You are also accountable to God. And God is the judge. If you abuse power, if God gives you influence and you abuse power, he's going to judge you. So you must be accountable. You know that your life is accountable to God and your faithfulness at one level is always going to determine um, your promotion to the next level. It regulates you and makes you able to manage your power very well. So it doesn't destroy you and it doesn't destroy other people. Sarah, I hope I've answered you. All right. Let's rise up and pray. Can we open our mouth and thank the Lord for today, for all that he has helped us to receive. Father, we thank you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you glory. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Lord. I give you praise. 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 Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we thank you so much for today. As we close, I pray for everyone, wherever they are coming from, that you take them back to their destination safely. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that everyone that is here today, that your spirits will bring them to the place of developing, discovering their leadership potential, 
developing that leadership potential and becoming the leader that they were created to become. I pray that people who have been part of today's seminar will come to the place of self-discovery and developing their personal confidence to love themselves, to relate to themselves well, and to be able to influence other people positively. I pray that everyone here will be able to discover their personal vision, their personal mission in their lifetime. In the name of Jesus, bring people to that place of self-discovery to know why they were born and what their life assignment is about. In the name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that the grace for leadership will come upon everyone here, increase upon their lives, that wherever they find themselves, they will step into the shoes of leadership and bring godly change and influence in everything that they do, in their homes, in their workplaces, in society, even in their families, and also in their churches. In the name of Jesus, I pray for business owners that your grace will, that, call, that brings about great businesses. Let that grace come upon their lives. Let that grace for global business, let that grace come upon their lives. Business ideas. In the name of Jesus, I pray for all the pastors. Increase your anointing on their lives. Grant them more wisdom and grant them grace for leadership. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, Father. I give you praise. I give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. today's message. You can contact Reverend Hubert on 030-340-7970 or 024-33-11201. Remain blessed.